So here we are again with the leadership podcast, Does Leadership Matter? And I have here with me Esther Derby uh, from the US. And would you, Esther, start by introducing yourself and telling a bit about what you do? Sure. Um, well, I started my career as a programmer. And uh, over the years, I've done a lot of different things. I, uh, you know, I've been a team lead. I did some testing because we all used to do our own testing. I was a dev manager and an internal consultant in a large um, publicly traded company in the U.S. And so from, from those perspectives, um, I was able to both observe and practice leadership. So what I do mostly now is I work with organizations to, to improve their organizational dynamics so that uh, everyone in the organization can contribute productively to doing work. So mm. really, really, really creating an environment where the best work is likely to happen. Yeah, sounds like leadership for me. Well, yeah. Uh, I think we met, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Um, at least yeah yeah and uh, I, I, I've known known uh, come to know uh, know you uh, on on the topic uh, quite a lot especially working with teams and helping teams to 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 work better but how would you describe uh, what is leadership what's the definition for you well I I like uh, Jerry Weinberg's definition of leadership, which is the ability to adjust the environment so that everyone can contribute creatively to solving the problems, which implies that leadership is not tied to a position, uh, you know, so not, a, not, not necessarily a formal position or place in the hierarchy, that everyone can lead from where they are. Um, but how does that, that work in practice? So, so, so is, is that kind of an, um, if you have a team that you create the team conditions in, in, in that fashion that, that you allow everybody to find their place or how does that work? What, what kind of principles or, or things have you seen in practice to really be able to create that condition for, for people to contribute? Well, I think, I think the prerequisite is that people need to be able to observe what is happening mm -hmm. and to judge that against an explicit model so that they have some, some idea about what might be helpful for the group. So leadership in, in, in the way I use the term is not about imposing your will on other people or getting people behind your great idea, although sometimes that's a, a useful thing to do, but it, it really is focused on how can we enable the group? How can we empower the group? So for example, um, I was in a meeting that was kind of swirling around and I wasn't the facilitator. So I, I chose um, not to stand up and take over, but what I did do was say, um, I'm not clear what options we're discussing right now. Can we write them down? Mm. And, you know, everybody said, well, why, I, why can't you keep track? Keep up. And I said, well, please just indulge me. And it turned out that people thought we were discussing like three or four different variations of ideas, but we were actually talking about seven. So it was, it was not surprising that people were confused and the meeting was swirling. So that little act of saying, can we write it down, 
made it um, more possible for the group to function effectively. And by my definition, that would be an active leadership. Mm. So that could come from, you know, a junior programmer saying, um, can, can we slow down and, and write, write, write out the steps we're taking if the group is, is not following or, or he's not following or she's not following. So, so that would be an act of leadership, making it possible for everyone to contribute more effectively. Hmm. Yeah, so that, that would be the act of, of, of leadership. How do you yeah. create the conditions for, for the team members to, to be able to kind of bring that up? Because I think, I, at least I've been in a lot of, lot of meetings where uh, there's a, a feeling that it, it, it could be going better or <laughs> it could be, I, I could be possibly contributing or, or um, but somehow it, it's not there. It's not yeah. there. Well, I think, I think that is tied up with the idea that uh, leadership is positional, leadership is anointed or appointed, and that there's only one leader in any given situation. Um, mm. So I think, I think part of it is shifting that idea that, you know, it is possible that you can do leadership without being the named leader. I think that that's something that we all can agree, but how do we kind of get get there? Of course, our current organizations, we do have the positions there and they're mm-hmm. named. Um, but how, how's, and, and there's of course value in, in organizations of having clarity in, in let's say, authority, authority sure. who has the, who has the sure. decision-making power in certain specific situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not advocating for for the, you know, the destruction of hierarchy here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not Why arguing not? for that at all. <laughs> well, um, because because hierarchy helps reduce the cognitive load when you get to you know over thirty people or so. Yeah, some clarity. Also yeah, on. yeah, yep. and I I think I think for for people in senior positions in an organization, creating clarity is a crucial act of leadership. Because it enables people to function more effectively if they know what problem we're solving for what group of people, what market we're in, how we make money, all that other sort of sort of thing. Mm. So, but on the team level, um, I think it. I think it. Uh, in my experience, it comes from an awareness that um, you know you do have some ability to adjust the environment, even in a small way to make things better. What would be a way of, of facilitating that, that change? For example, the, the meeting where you brought up that, that, um, that um, like what are the different issues that yeah. we're, we're, we're discussing, how to um, catalyze or facilitate that kind of a leadership for, for well, a team? I, I, I think there are some examples where you've been kind of helping to do that or well, I think modeling it is an important thing mm-hmm. so you know if if one person models it, then other people will say oh hey we could we could do that too. Um, I saw that happen in a um, a company where I was actually doing some workshop training, and the one of the 
characteristics of, of this particular organization was that people came and went from meetings and people were always double or triple booked and um and and someone came into our three-day workshop on the second day and said you know i'd like to join the workshop i'm sorry i'm late you know this is midway through the class midway through the second day and we said well you've missed a lot of of, of critical material and um we have a responsibility to the other people in the group to keep things moving forward so we would love to have you come back for our next workshop and she got really angry and said well i was only asking to be polite and i cleared my schedule to come to this class which obviously she had not cleared her schedule because she hadn't been there for you know the first day and a half but it was really interesting to watch the people in the workshop because they had never seen anyone do this before. They had always just accepted that, oh, our meetings are going to be interrupted. We're going to have to reset and restart and bring the new person up to speed. It hadn't occurred to them that you could actually say, um, no. Wow. <laughs> Um, please come back the next time, but right now it'll be extremely disruptive to try to you know, bring you up to, to, to where the rest of the group is. Um, and so that, it, that modeled for them that you didn't have to accept restarting a meeting. Mm. You know, that you could say, well, here you are. Um, please talk to someone afterwards to catch up on what we've discussed or, um, you know, if someone wants to rewind the whole meeting, you say, well, we have, we've already covered that point. Oops, I forgot to turn off my notifications. That's fine. I'm going to turn them off now. So, yeah, I think modeling is important. Um, it's also something that, that we talk about a lot in the problem-solving leadership workshop that I do. Um, that I, I uh, it's Jerry Weinberg um, invented the workshop and we co-taught it for a long time. And now that he's gone, I'm carrying it forward as he wanted me to do. But it's something we talk about a lot in that, in that workshop. And actually in a lot of the workshops we do. It's like, what yeah, can you do yeah. from where you are to make things better? Yeah, the, uh, the title, the Problem Solving Leadership, uh, sounds really interesting. I, I guess mm -hmm. many leaders think about their work uh, partly leading, but partly also being the firefighters in the organization, trying to solve the organization's problems. Um, I don't know whether that's the topic of, 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 of the, uh, the workshop that you have, but maybe can you share a bit about uh, how, how do you approach, how do you link these two together and what's, what's that workshop about? Well, the, the workshop is, is a chance for people to explore their leadership style and how they can be leaders when they are members of a group, um, how, how uh, they show up in organizations, um, some of the things to look for in organizations that are possibilities and traps. And so, um, you know, what everybody takes away is something slightly different from that workshop usually based on what they came in needing to know. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a long workshop. It's five and a half days and experiential. So we're doing simulations and debriefing simulations for five and a half days. Wow. 
uh, and uh, I would understand from the title that it's not for leaders, but it's again kind of about the leadership, as, as you mentioned about being part of a, a team or a group or organization and how you can influence from that point. Well, you know, we do get people who are in formal leadership positions. We've had CIOs and vice presidents and directors and company owners in the workshop and it shifts their notion of how they can do their job. So it gives them a broader set of um, opportunities to influence the organization and, and make it easier for people to, to actually get their jobs done. So it's not just you know being a charismatic leader or using your positional power, it's looking at the environment and ad adapting the environment so that, that, that people can all contribute. Hmm. Yes, I um, I read your recent book, The Seven Rules for Positive uh, Productive Change, mm -hmm. and uh, even though it it was more about change, there was quite a lot about leadership, of course, linking to helping uh, for 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 changes to happen. Um, it was really interesting, and you already touched a bit on 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 steering. One of the models that that you um, introduced there is the C model. Mm -hmm. uh, could you share a bit about that? Sure. Um, and that, that model came out of my work um, with many organizations looking at how can people shift the way they are thinking about their roles so that they can be more effective in it. And what, what, what it says is that in any organization, no matter how big or how small, there are three basic domains that need to be addressed. One is steering which is why are, you know, why are we in, why do we exist? What difference are we making for what group of people? How do we make money? What's our value proposition? What's our overall structure? You know, what are the things that we would always do and never do, All right? And then there's the enabling and enhancing domain, which is how do we make it possible? How do we create the um, conditions for um, people to do great work? So how do we uh, create the conditions for teams? How do we help workflow smoothly into the organization? How do we um, connect the day-to-day -day work with the big picture? How do we um, scan the environment of their system to make things better? And how do we allocate um, um, decisions to various groups of people so that they know what their bounded autonomy is? And then there's the making domain, which is actually creating the, the products or services. And what I have found is that um, when people talk about their roles using those frames, um, they see more possibilities uh, and they, they tend to value the work of other people hmm. more. Um, I think one of the things that happens in many hierarchies is, it, it, and it is the nature of, of hierarchy and the nature of the way our brains work that, you know, we think of hierarchies as having a top and a bottom yep. and, and top is better, higher is better, lower is worse. And, and so we tend to, um, without consciously choosing to, devalue the work of the people on the front line, the people who are at the bottom of the hierarchy, even though without them, nothing's going to happen. 
right? Yeah, so no, no value would be created. Yeah. So so what I find is that it helps people value um, the work of others. It helps people think about um, decision making in terms of what makes sense versus who has, you know, who has the the status in the hierarchy. And it helps people focus more on how can we make things, um, how can we make it possible for teams to do great work? Yeah, I think the, all of the domains that you mentioned in the, in the C model, the steering, the enabling and enhancing and making, all of them, if I, if I think of the, for example, the making domain where, where we create the customer value, Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's a let's say service team on on the on the field uh, helping the customers, or if it's making a software or creating a new offering, uh, and then the enabling and enhancing that's kind of the organizational how to, how to support and create the conditions mm-hmm. for for others to succeed, mm-hmm. and steering is is the creating the clarity of where to focus and why do we do the things that we we do. All of them they. For for me, uh, these are all, all of them require leadership on each of these domains. Absolutely, a, yeah, absolutely. It might be somewhat different type mm-hmm. of leadership that is needed uh, in each of these domains. Uh, for example, in the enabling and enhancing, which uh, how I consider much of my work uh, at at Cargotech, where I'm I'm supporting the digital transformation and trying to create conditions for for our businesses and our our different teams to create new type of customer offering and change our internal processes and things like that. Much of my, my leadership needs to be, um, it's, there's no direct um, authority that I have, but kind of creating the conditions for people to network, meet, meet with, 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 with each other, sorry, uh, mm-hmm. and also learn from uh, the different things that are happening in the organization, share information, share knowledge, and uh, help to also, as you mentioned earlier, model that type of behavior. Uh, because of the organizational structure is, of course, we have business lines that are are quite independent in terms of, uh, the history, what they have been doing, but many things now now have have different linkages. Uh, uh, what's the domains that you've been working with, and would there be some kind of an um, learnings that you could share from leadership related to the different do- domains like steering, how to do, how what kind of leadership is needed there, or the enabling, enhancing, or making making domains. I'm thinking. Um, so I think I think one of the things that uh, I I see at the steering domain is that people assume that because something is very clear to them that it's very clear to everyone else. Here, here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean they've thought about you know they've thought about the business model. They know it inside out. They know you know the market intimately. Um, and and so creating that clarity for other people, I think, is super important. I think that's, you know, aside from actually creating those conditions and, and, and 
finding the business model and, and establishing the business and the market and so forth. Creating that clarity for other people in the organization is super important. Um, one of the things I've observed in a lot of organizations is that once it gets past, you know, maybe 30 people, maybe even fewer than that, there tends to be a bifurcation of knowledge where the people at the top know what's going on. They know, you know, how the business works and the people at the bottom don't. And, mm -hmm. and so they either are making locally optimized decisions based on what they do know or they wait to be told what to do because they don't know how their work fits into the big picture or they try something and it's a, a, a bad decision because they're working with such limited knowledge. So, so I mean, you can't get rid of the bifurcation of knowledge and I'm not saying that everyone should know everything, but I think increasing the overlap um, so that people understand how their work fits into the big picture um, and people can make reasonable decisions at a local level is a profound act of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and you've been working with, with teams or, or leadership teams that especially are on the steering domain. What kind of struggles have you seen them and working with? Of course, kind of everybody would also, yeah, yeah, of course, creating clarity. Everybody should be knowing the, the vision or what's the direction, but What's, what's the mechanism there that this is not as, as common? And that's why I also laughed when you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and it's not just knowing the vision, because visions are often these sort of airy statements that no one in the world could disagree with. <laughs> um, people actually need to know how the company makes money. Yep. People need to know what is the value we provide to our customers? What is the difference we're making? Um, and so, so I think just talking about that, talking about it, talking about it, even though it feels like, oh my God, I've been talking about this forever, is really important. Um, and I think, I think uh, the other thing I noticed about, about um, groups in the steering domain is that while they do know a lot of stuff, they don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the organization assumes that they do and have all the answers. And so there are unreasonable demands um, put on people in that domain to have all the answers, to figure everything out, um, and just tell other people what to do. So it, it sort of works both ways, right? They have a role to create clarity where they can, but there's also this unrealistic expectation that, Oh, you will figure it all out and then just tell us right so so I think um, the other thing that I see folks in that domain dealing with is people also project onto them that you know they can do anything in the organization you know they are on top they have the power um, mm -hmm. so thinking and, that they're omnipotent in a sense yeah 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 but you know in most in most companies or many companies there's a board so the ceo is responsible to the board right mm -hmm. yes so so they can't do just whatever they want and people tend to under underestimate how difficult it is to um start or stop something in an organization yeah, and isn't it so that, that uh, at least I, I've been working a lot with different leadership teams, they, they're 
they're bombarded with different yeah. conflicts. They yeah. have lots of conflicting priorities. Should we uh, kind of reduce costs or to increase operational um, profits? And at the same time, how do we invest into the future? How do we ensure that we are uh, succeeding in, in one project and another project and the third project at, at, at the yeah. same time? And then at the same time, somebody asking, how should we prioritize these? And they are apples, oranges, and horses in the same, mm -hmm. the same comparison. You really, for example, one thing that's related to a customer offering, another one uh, related to an internal improvement effort. So you really cannot prioritize on, on that level. Yeah, so it's, yeah, I think people underestimate, who aren't in that role, underestimate just how many things are coming at senior leaders all the time, every day, all day. And the level of, you know, constant decision making they are, they are under. And that takes a toll, right? It does, it does. But I, it also kind of brings it quite clear to me that it's, it's a leadership is not enough even if you have a great leader, if you have the organization set up or decision-making or structure or system set up in a fashion that somehow, for example, creates a lot of uh, competing priorities, it's mm -hmm. really hard to be a leader mm -hmm. in that type of setup. Yeah, and, and if, if, if there is a, an extreme bifurcation of knowledge, um, that means that more and more decisions get piled on the senior leaders or the people in the steering domain because the people in enabling and enhancing and making don't have the information to make good decisions so more and more of it gets piled on top and it becomes a sort of um, self-reinforcing dynamic where they're torn and they're distracted and they have stuff coming at them all the time um, so they don't have the time to ex really explicate what is going on in the organization, why they are in business, how things work, which means that other people are coming at them with more questions. But shouldn't it be so that if the steering and enabling and enhancing works well, so, so the system works well and the steering works well, there should be less decisions made on the uh, leadership team level because the organization already knows or the people making things or the teams or the units themselves are able to already prioritize. Well. Yeah, yeah, certain, certain decisions, in my view, need to stay with this, with the steering, in the steering domain. What could those be, for example? Um, well, you know, what market you're in, um, yeah. um, what your business model is, uh, fiduciary decisions, um, decisions about where to make huge investments, uh, what behavior will be um, encouraged, what will mm -hmm. never be tolerated, those sorts of things I think always um, stay there. But there's a ton of other decisions that can be done elsewhere in the organization when people have the knowledge and when people have um, appropriate boundaries. Yeah, so the boundaries part is, is pretty important there. So, mm -hmm. so, of course, everybody has heard about uh, leadership coming up with a good vision that helps to make decisions. So, for example, uh, if, you, if you say a movie will be like an uh, aliens, you already know what I don't, you might not know aliens or our listeners, but it's it's a horror flick in space with a, lots of claustrophobic elements. So you already know, okay, 
uh, we're doing a movie like this, so you can make decisions based on that, and that mm -hmm. helps on, on the micro decisions. Uh, so, so vision is, is quite well understood, but, but how about these boundaries? So uh, how can the steering, what kind of examples could you kind of give some from your past of, of good or bad setting of boundaries that, that have created good or, or challenging outcomes? Well, the, the most um, astonishing example I have ever seen of boundaries was uh, a, a set of managers who were creating the uh, boundaries for software development teams. And these teams were explicitly given the authority to make decisions about their team name, their team working agreements, and how to spend their snack budget. All right. Yeah. Well, and this was a company that prided itself on hiring really smart people. Um, so that was that was pretty extreme. Um, on the other hand, I think uh, you could you could set a boundary, and I have seen people set boundaries around. You know, you can. Here's your training budget team. You can spend it on um, books. You can spend it on bringing in a, a, a particular coach. You can spend it on conferences. So here's the money. Here's the money boundary. And we request that they, that they be related to making your work more effective. Hmm. Um, here's, your, here's your budget for testing tools. Now, keep in mind that... Um, you know, your team isn't just an island here and you have to be able to work with these other groups. So keep that in mind, but here's your budget. And, you know, if you find the perfect tool that's, you know, $5,000 more, then come and have a conversation. You know, so those are some, some examples on either extreme. Yeah. And of course, very different results. If, yes <laughs> but of course it depends on also the people and the context and and such things but uh somehow kind of a, this is something that i i've uh when i worked a lot also kind of coaching or supporting teams i noticed that a lot of lot of teams did not have uh, clarity in terms of their boundaries of decision making what could, mm -hmm. what can they decide and what they cannot decide and uh of course if you don't have that clarity um, people are not making some decisions which they are supposed to do and uh, also they might be kind of going over to mm -hmm. do some decisions that they should not be doing or should be, should be at least checking and confirming with others to ensure that they are aligned. Yeah and what I what I often see happen is that with every good intention um, the uh, uh, people with positional leadership in an organization will say, we want people to be empowered. We want people to take initiative. We want people to make decisions, but they don't um, set the boundaries and they don't reduce the bifurcation of knowledge. And so someone or some team will take the initiative and make a decision that turns out to be really bad. And then they get yep. slapped. Then they get slapped down. And, and that, makes them less likely to um, try anything in the future. And it also reduces trust. 
So it, it, it creates a wider gap between the people who are making the services and making the products and the people who are steering or any supposedly enabling and enhancing. Yes. So, so, um, would this be uh, kind of a setting the boundaries? Would that be kind of an, where, where would you place it? Uh, is it is it a part of the steering or is it more of the enabling and enhance, enhancing or? I think it happens in all three domains. It's just at a, at oh, a, true. a yeah. sort of different level, right? So the, the steering domain may be setting boundaries for uh, the decision authority uh, decision rights of people in the enabling and enhancing and the people in enabling and enhancing may be working with the people on the uh, making domain to set those boundaries and have conversations about them because I, I think that's you know I think that's an important aspect of it um, it also acknowledges that that conversational aspect acknowledges that um, nobody has complete knowledge of the system Right, people on the in the steering domain don't necessarily know what the day-to-day -day realities of getting work done are, particularly mm. if you have intangible work like making software, right? Yes. Yep. Um, so, so they don't necessarily have detailed enough or granular enough knowledge about the capacity of the organization, the capability of the organization, and so having that conversation happen. Um, as those boundaries are being um, decided on, as priorities are being decided on, is super helpful because you get a, you get a, a a greater understanding of what the organization is actually capable of doing. Yeah. In, so all all of all of the different different um, steering, enabling, enhancing, making, they all need leadership a bit different fashions. All of them also require the boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, also, kind of how to clear, create the clarity on the large picture that may be happening on the steering, but of course also within the making domain, you need to create the clarity of how do we do the work. Yeah. Uh, well, how do we do? How do how do we approach the work? Um, how are we going to organize our own work? Um, do we need to develop new approaches given new challenges? Yeah, there's there's a lot of that that's is is happening in in all three domains. Yeah, and um, a part of, of 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 the way of how to um, help this kind of a leadership culture to cultivate an organization, you need to do that through modeling. And showing the example, but mm -hmm. how 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 do how do you do that? In in how how do you encourage? Because there's so many, um, let's say, bad or old habits. Many again, this is an we we are here acknowledging these things, but it's really much much harder to really be there on the moment to 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 do this so what what would be there your kind of suggestions or ways of how leaders who want to kind of learn to become better leaders how how could they do this um what i have seen work and what i have participated in um with yep. my clients is is really um what i would what i would call a dialogic process which is just a big word for you're having lots of 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 uh, purposeful conversations 
sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in workshop settings, where people have an opportunity to uh, discuss and explore and negotiate and think differently about their roles and their jobs and what they need to accomplish. And it doesn't happen in one workshop. It doesn't happen in two. Sometimes it happens over many months um, where people, um, through conversation, create um, new knowledge and create new ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. So would it be kind of uh, something that if I'm a leader, I I find uh, people outside and inside my organization to, to... And engage with, uh, or is that more of a kind of a joining and, and uh, learning program or uh, internal develop internal development of, of leadership? Or have you seen kind of different approaches on, on this? Um, we we have some background noise here for a second. Yeah, doors closing, and maybe I'll ask that again. Yeah. So let, hold hold on just a second, and I'll yep. see if I can't. Um, get an ETA on one. Uh, how much, how long do you need to come in and out of the house? I'm just going to go upstairs. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I don't have my whisper booth yet to go hide. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll probably also kind of, uh, let's have this as a, um, I can't, a I, yeah. Sorry. I had two people talking to me and I couldn't uh, hear either of them. So sorry about that. Yeah, I thought that I'll ask the question again. Okay. And then I'll ask uh, kind of a, uh, maybe a book recommendation or, or something that we're, we're to learn a bit more uh, on leadership. And uh, then let's close the okay. session. So I'll ask, ask again uh, about the, how to do that dialogic process, how, how to set that up. Uh, as a leader who wants to learn, I'll ask that. So uh, about the dialogic process, so as a leader, how, how, and I, if I want to learn more, how, how could I set that up? Well, I think, I think you start with um, bringing together uh, the people who you're currently working with and have some discussions about, you know, what are our responsibility within our particular domain, right? Mm-hmm. And, are we doing those things and who do we need to bring into this conversation to help us have that, um, have that happen more effectively? Um, one of the uh, companies I worked with, um, they had a transformation lead who took this model and used it uh, to help people figure out what the boundaries of decisions were in you know, between the steering domain and the enabling enhancing domain. And when they started, everybody thought everybody needed to be involved in every single decision. And what they realized was that, no, there were some decisions that uh, people in enabling enhancing didn't need to be involved in, but they sure had a lot of contextual knowledge. And so they shifted the way they handled decisions. Um, And that then started conversations with the with the enabling domain right mm. about what was their job really is it to tell people what to do no it was really about how can we support these teams right so so it led them to seeing a much more strategic role 
that led the people in enabling enhancing to see their role as much more strategic and much more about supporting rather than telling people what to do. So yeah. it's, yeah, it, it, it happened through a series of workshops over a series of months and led to some really significant differences in how people um, approach their work. Yeah, I think that's that's part of uh, being a leader also, kind of a putting emphasis on, on becoming better in that and uh, inspecting and seeing how that, sure. that works. Thank you, Esther, so much on, on joining on our uh, journey on trying to learn as much as we can about leadership and, and does it matter. Would you have some uh, recommendations for, for listeners on, on uh, where to learn a bit more on the topics discussed? Well, first, thank you for having me. It's really been delightful um, having yep. this conversation with you. Um, as for books. Yep. That is a tough one. Um, so my, my thinking about systems has been influenced, and in, particularly around hierarchy and systems, has been influenced by Barry Oshry's work. That's mm -hmm. O-S-H-R-Y. Um, he, he's done some really interesting work about how, how, um, how, it, how, how those jobs play out and how people can be more aware of the systemic effects and how that is affecting the way they do their job. So I, found, I find his work quite useful. Um, can I, I also recommend your, your book? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, I recently read The Seven Roles for Positive and Productive Change. And I really loved on how in that book you approach the topic of changing the organizations mm. and human yeah. systems uh, in, in a fashion that's not simplistic, but still simplifies it in, mm -hmm. in a fashion that how, how, what, what's really important in making a change that you really cannot exactly plan and how to lead that. And uh, um, as I mentioned or brought up the C model, but there were several other quite, uh, at least for me, uh, useful models that I haven't heard, heard before that can be um, nicely balancing the, the, let's say, theory and practicality. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the specific stories that you give in that book on, 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 on change. Thank you for that very nice recommendation. Um, an, another book might be Edgar Schein's Humble Leadership. Yeah, I've read that also. That's, yeah. that's a really, really good, good one. Mm -hmm. And also kind of really nicely brings the, the, the stan, stance of a leader of, of uh, finding how to be useful and how to have an, an uh, engagement with uh, other people that also creates trust. Yeah. Yeah, and that I, I like that you use the word useful there. Uh, I, you made that distinction to, to, in another conversation we had recently, and I think it's a really good one to be yeah. useful rather than necessarily helping people. Yes, yeah. And there, there's a saying that being helpful makes other people helpless. Yeah. So. Yeah. But good. Thank you so much on 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 uh, joining our podcast. This will. Yeah. Uh, have a lot of lot of uh, th things to think about, especially on the on the boundary setting and and um, how to create clarity. It's something that I've been um, 
of course as as in the role where i'm i'm helping an organization to transform creating that clarity is important but how to even be better at that uh, because sometimes the transformation is not as, as clear as it could be yeah and, and well transformations are seldom as clear as we'd hope and so part of part of the leadership is working it out you know and it doesn't it doesn't only have to be the leaders I had people you know at the steering domain just everybody yes. has to figure it out so thank you for having me thank you <laughs>